0: Now is the time to shop and save on Amana appliances at Lowe's. Get deals on select appliances, plus free delivery on items $396 and up. And you can bring home the Amana appliance suite, featuring a refrigerator with adjustable shelving and reversible doors to fit any space for under $2,000. Head to your local Lowe's store or visit us online at Lowe's.com to save big on Amana appliances today, only at Lowe's. Exclusions apply. See Lowe's.com for details. about for three hundred nineteen.
1: Business Breakdowns is sponsored by Tegas. We created Business Breakdowns to uncover the lessons and frameworks behind every business, and that's what makes Tegas our perfect launch partner. Much of the foundational prep for these episodes gets started with research powered by Tegas. With Tegas, you can learn about any public or private company directly from former execs, customers, and industry experts, all of whom are in a position to offer unique insights into a company's growth, its customer value, and its competition. What makes Tegas different is that you don't have to lead your own expert calls. It offers instant access to the world's largest collection of investor-led call transcripts on companies like Coinbase, Hinge Health, and Farfetch. All you have to do is log in and you'll get instant access. Still want to do your own expert calls? Tegas also allows you access to experts for $300 a call, not the $1,000 or more that others charge. I can personally say that some of the most thoughtful investors in the world use Tegas and talk about it often. If you're ready to go deeper on any company and you appreciate the value of primary research, head to tegas.co slash breakdowns for a free trial. That's tegas.co slash breakdowns.
0: This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from. And we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out JoinColossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions.
1: Today, we are breaking down Sky Mavis, the company behind the NFT based game Axie Infinity. Built by a team with a long history in gaming, Axie Infinity was launched in 2018 with the idea that a blockchain based play to earn model could create more aligned incentives between game creators and game players long-term. Axie is one of the most incredible examples of speed to scale I've ever seen. With the game reporting $100,000 of revenue in January, over $190 million of revenue in July, and over $360 million of revenue in August. In this breakdown, we cover the basics of Axie and how gameplay is similar to classics such as Pokemon. We dive into the economic model, how Sky Mavis generates revenue, how players earn money, and how this is all enabled by the blockchain. We discuss the importance of gameplay versus the economic ecosystem and examine the sustainability of Axie from various angles. To help me break down Sky Mavis, I am joined by Alexander Larson, co-founder of Sky Mavis, and Stephen McEwen partner at Collab Currency, an early stage investor in Sky Mavis. So, Alexandra, I think the best place to begin is with a high-level description of the current Axie ecosystem. And we like to begin these conversations with just some numbers and some narrative around the scope of the business today. So, before we get into the nitty-gritty, maybe just frame our conversation by telling us how many people are playing this game, the economic activity that's happening, in this game just to give people an appreciation for this crazy scope and how quickly it's grown
2: at a very high level action infinity is not available on any app stores you can't download it on android you can't download it on TestFlight. you have to sideload it besides that we've gathered over 1.7 million daily active players right now and up until this point i believe it's 1.8 billion dollars worth of transactions on our nft marketplace So, yeah, the metrics are quite astounding, considering, you know, we haven't officially gone to market yet. I would say we're still testing it out, trying to find, you know, the right approach to teach the mainstream about this new technology. I think I have to ask very early on the big and important question, which is
1: just around the simple model of the game itself. The term that we're probably going to use a bunch is play to earn. And that's very different than past business models around video games. So we'll keep it pretty simple there. Can you just describe how you think about what play to earn means very specifically, how it means money flows through the Axie
2: Infinity ecosystem? When we think about gaming and how that works, generally, the game studio has captured all of the value inside of these digital ecosystems that have been created. In Axie Infinity, we see things a little bit differently, thus the term play to earn, where we are rewarding players for the time spent inside the game and for the value that they add to the ecosystem. So, when you play Axie, you can farm various resources, then you can sell them on an open marketplace on Ethereum as long as there is demand for that asset. Well, then you can basically turn your time into money like that. Could you describe just probably almost everyone listening
1: will probably have a kid or a nephew or a niece or something that plays Some game that probably is similar enough to how Axie actually works to understand what's happening here. Maybe Pokemon is the right analogy or something. Just describe the actual interaction of the game being played. Because at the end of the day, people are playing a game here. That's the reason that we're here. So just describe kind of how it works and how it feels.
2: At a very high level, you you have your cute Axie game characters that can be used in different games. Some of the games we create as a core team, that would be the one that's most popular right now is the Axie Infinity Battle game, where you have a team of three axes and you battle against either an opponent in a player versus player environment, or you can go travel on adventures and, and beat various creatures and then advance like that. So a player versus enemy environment. As you go deeper, you realize what makes this valuable is actually the connection with how the entire economy works. So for example, when you want to buy a new Axie character, that's not something that we as a main game studio is selling. You actually have to buy from other players. And then we as a game studio, we make money whenever there's a transaction that's happening on our marketplace. Another way for us to make money is whenever a new Axie is being generated or bred into existence, in that transaction, there is a two-part thing that's happening. The first one would be that the players have to use a resource that they can only find inside the game. And on the other side, you have, you know, what they have to pay to the game studio, which is our take rates. And I think that's a theme that we probably are going to go a little bit deeper into into this conversation, because it's very related to how you know, the play to earn ecosystems will develop over time. So in our take rate, what we take from the economy on the marketplace side, that's about 4.25 percent. And whenever an Axie is being bred, right now it's about 80 percent that we get. So that's why you get these, you know, massive amounts of revenue. So some more numbers here: in January we had about $100,000 in revenue. In July it was 196 million, and in August it was about 370 million. So so far in September it's generated a little bit over 70 million.
1: I mean, just incredible scale numbers. I think it's a great example of how fast things in this Web3 crypto world can move, both prices and activity. We'll dig a lot more into that. I want to stick with analogies here just so everyone can understand. And so the understanding of these key, we'll call it assets or resources inside of the game. I'm going to list them now just for frame for the audience. And then I want to go through each one and kind of what it means. So there's axes, the actual characters. You could think about these like either very common or very rare Pokemon cards. And I'm sure there's a spectrum we can talk about. There's SLP, there's AXS, the token, and then there's the blockchains that these things all interact with. Literally, it's like a structured economy. And the way that you guys have built this, I think it's just so fascinating. So we have to start with the characters themselves. So what is an Axie? How many, I think it's hundreds and hundreds of different features an individual Axie could have. How does a new one come to be? How many Axies are in existence? The actual mechanics of how the characters (laughs) get generated is really interesting. Could you explain that for us?
2: Each Axie has a genetic DNA sequence that's stored on the blockchain. And that genetic sequence that also determines the various body parts that that specific Axie gets, and also determines how strong that Axie is in battle. Some axes might be super strong if they have you know, 61 health, and then there are other things like morale, speed, that also determines how valuable they are in combat for those who want to or focus on that aspect of axes players are, whenever they want to breed for a new Axie, you find two parties or two Axie characters that you think will produce a nice outcome. And then you can also you know, put that into a breeding calculator, the suspected outcome. And then there's some part of RNG in there, which then again produces an Axie, which then again can be used to battle with or sold to the opposing party, uh, to someone else in the marketplace. And then there's also a maximum amount of times that each Axie can be bred with each other, prevent hyperinflation. It costs more and more and more whenever you are breeding an axie. You can't just keep spamming out axies without actually playing the game and producing
1: smooth love potions. So would it be fair to think about each axie as almost like an NFT, meaning it's non fungible, it's not directly the same as other ones, and it's one of one. You have one, you own it. It can't be doubled or replicated. The difference between like it and NFT art, you know, NFT art, you just look at these. You actually use to do something fun in a game, which I think brings us to the second thing, which is SLP. You could describe what that stands for. And it's maybe the first kind of more fungible currency that exists in the game. So what's the mechanic here? What is SLP? How do you get it? Why does it matter?
2: First of all, yeah, just to kind of echo what you said. Yeah, Axies are NFTs. They are unique. What's so great here is and why we believe that gaming will be what actually takes NFTs to the mainstream it's because it's so obvious. When you have an Axie NFT character inside your wallet, you can use it. You can sell it. The use case is so apparent. Meanwhile, when you have something like an art piece in your wallet, well, it's a little bit more unclear what that specific NFT gives you. I mean, artists, they can give value to their NFT holders by having specific art galleries or very where you might invite these holders. It's a little bit difficult for normal people to understand it. In gaming, we've always had these ownership of unique assets. Now they are just being secured by a blockchain. So that's one of the NFTs we have inside Axie. We also have Land, which is a part of where the Axies live in the future. So another game that we're developing on top of the Axie Infinity Universe. But to kind of get to your question, well, SLP, this is kind of where a part of the magic happens. But to understand SLP, I think we have to take a step back into how we got started with Axie. Because we actually got started making it a game that was not so similar to what we have right now was an idle battle game. There was no need for players to actually play or spend time inside the game. You could just queue your axe and then battle against someone else and you would get experience points for your game characters. So it's very similar to what you would have in a normal type of game. What we find is that you could use those experience points to breed. So that wasn't really anything special. So what we did is we released a new game and then we changed that experience part We turned experience into SLP, so whenever you played a game of Axie, you would be able to earn SLP. And then we disconnected that from the main character so that you could actually claim it into a resource, so a fungible asset. And what we then did was we opened it up so that it could be traded on a blockchain. And that means that if you're a player and you come into the game and you want to breed for a new Axie, you can either play the game, so you actually have to spend physical time playing Or you can purchase SOP tokens from another player who has been grinding that because we as a company, we don't sell these tokens to anyone. I think that's the most important thing to consider here. Each SOP that's in creation right now is the result of blood, sweat and tears or, well, you can say fun (laughs) from another player who has actually been playing the game. So... I actually think SLP might be more real than Fiat currencies because they just magically come into existence. In Axie, you know, they actually have to play the game to generate SLP.
1: So SLP, which I think stands for Sweet Love Potion, which is kind of funny. Smooth Love Potion. Smooth Love Potion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even better. SLP is the in-game currency. It's fungible, like you said, and you use it to do, for example, breed new Axies or perform other functions, I guess, in games in the future. But it's sort of the native currency
2: of the game itself? Not really, actually. It's just a part, one piece of many, many different things that will exist inside Axie. Instead of considering currencies, we should consider liquidity, because that's actually what it's about. If there is enough liquidity for any kind of trades, anything can be a currency. It's just what people actually want to hold in their wallets. You know, in real life, people don't really want to hold, not necessarily dollars, Norwegian kroner, or whatever kind of fiat currency you have it's because you're forced to have it so that you can actually you know, trade because there is liquidity for that asset. What's so cool about the new digital realm is that as long as there is liquidity on the back ends and you can do you know, transactions that happen automatically, you won't even have to hold any kind of asset unless it's that specific thing which you want to have. So let's say in Axie, if you want to pay with wood, and you only want to stockpile wood sometime in the future. You will probably be able to do that because the transaction from wood into SLP into then breeding will happen on the back end. So everything there is about liquidity. SLP is a part, is one token that's tied to a specific feature inside Axie, and that feature, you know, is the breeding function. So that whenever you want to breed, there is some demand for SLP. And the only way to earn SLP is to play the game. That's right, or buy it from players. Only way to generate SOP is by actually spending time in the game. So some crypto folks like to say it's proof of work. We say it's proof of gameplay or proof of human being. I mean, one of the core you know, principles of when you want to reward people inside a game, what kind of behavior do we want to reward? What are we looking to reward inside? Actually, well, that would be playing the game. These are very basic things, but you have to think from you know, some principles. Okay, what do we need? The game is fun, but we can still incentivize people to play the game by giving some kind of reward.
1: Just to take the extreme example here, obviously lots of games in the past, let's take like World of Warcraft or something famous, have gold or some in-game currency that can be used to do stuff in the game and earned by going on quests or whatever. But this is much more extreme. So let's just say I'm sitting and I have U.S. dollars here in New York and I want to get to SLPs. (laughs) So I want to go from US dollars, maybe to Ethereum or something else to SLPs. Just talk us through why this is a much lower friction or the other way around. I've got SLP and I want to get US dollars. How would I actually do
2: that? So in traditional game economies, they actually don't allow you to do this because they want to capture the maximum amount of value inside their own ecosystem, or they don't believe that they can have civil resistant ecosystems so that they can allow these things to have real value because there is game-side games, hyperinflation of, let's say, gold in World of Warcraft. So that's one challenge that we have in Axie, for example. But to answer the question directly, whenever you want to exit from SLP into a fiat currency, well, you would have to trade on the open market. You would have to you know, first turn that token from the game into a stable currency or into that, the SLP token on the blockchain. Then you would have to transfer that to an exchange, transfer or trade it to another currency, and then go into dollars. If you want to do it opposite way, you can actually. Right now, we're offering like a fiat on-ramp service to our own native blockchain. So you know, these are systems that are being developed over time. What I what we're working towards is making it as seamless as possible, so that people you know have their money inside the Ronin wallet, and then seamlessly do trades and hold whatever asset that they want to, because there is liquidity on the back end to make any trade that they want.
1: One thing I think is really important is to understand the kind of players in the Axie ecosystem. So of the 1.7 or 8 million daily active users, where are these people and what are they doing? Because it strikes me that right now your incredible revenue growth is driven by new demand for Axies, which means new demand to play the game. But there's obviously lots of questions around, like, I'm sure you get this question all the time, like, is this just some crazy bubble? Are people actually enjoying the game or are they just enjoying that these things can be traded and that there's a return to be earned and they're speculating on axes or whatever? What behavior do you observe? Do you see trading speculation like behavior? Do you see mostly people trying to have fun? I know breeding is like a job that's very lucrative in the Philippines relative to alternatives. Just talk us through what that 1.7 million people is doing, kind of what buckets do they fall into?
2: So there are different, I would say, roles inside the Axie Infinity ecosystem. And it's a little bit different from actually what you said, because when you look at what is required to be a breeder, well, you need to have many axes, And axes are quite expensive right now. So you would need to have quite a large pool of axes to begin and find the right combinations and then produce the right outcome so that you can sell them for a profit, because you can't just spam axes and then sell the bad outcome, so to say. And that for comparison would be horses. If you breed two really bad horses with each other, you won't get an excellent result. Like You need to at least think a little bit through it, and then you will get some kind of good result. So that requires some amount of money from beforehand. So the breeders are generally not from, for example, developing countries like the Philippines. That's generally where you find the cheap work labor, the labor force, where they are actively playing the game, providing SOP for the breeders so that they can continue up with the production of the axes. So, right now we have, I think it's getting close to 5 million axes in existence. And when you then consider how many players we have in the ecosystem, well, it's almost getting to the point where to play the game, you need to have three axes. If you don't have three axes, you won't be able to play. Quick math says we're almost at the peak. We need more axes in existence to cover the new player demands. So, the question would be to kind of go to the next thing you ask is, what happens when we reach the top, when there aren't more players in existence? That might be 1.9 billion people for all we know, because this ecosystem is actually providing jobs for people. So we are making gaming more accessible. It's actually the beginning of the metaverse, in our opinion, just hiding in a very cute little game. But in any case, let's assume that we're at now 1.9 billion people, you know, playing axes. The gold rush of breeding is done. But at that point, we're talking maybe a couple of years into the future and Axie Infinity as a game ecosystem is far from finished. We are creating more games. We're making Axie Infinity, in short, more fun. That's what it has to be about. And you have to turn your network from being very growth-focused into being more focused on you know what is fun here. So why would people spend time inside a game? I mean, we have the proof of that for 20, 30 years, people have always been playing games, having fun, socializing. So everything is about how do we hit those network effects? And how big will they be? And when you have like 1.9 billion players, assuming that is the peak, well, that's where all your friends are. What I see is the beginning of a burgeoning nation, the beginning of something that has never really existed in the same scope ever before. And it's fine to be growth-focused because we need people to produce new axes so that other players can come in and buy them. Because it's not like we as a main game studio want to sell them directly, because that would also go against our model. And this also goes back to what I was talking about initially. When you think about our principles as a game studio, we actually prefer to empower the users and let them earn the majority of the money that's flowing in the ecosystem. And when you then look at the volume that's flowing through the marketplace, well, that's $1.8 That could potentially be money that we earned directly as a game company if this was different. like That's the general way a game studio works. That's a 100% take rate. Our take rate is much, much smaller than that because we want to empower the users and actually let Axie Infinity become job platform more than anything else. I think that's pretty cool. It sounds like the key things
1: here are you, Sky Mavis, the company, has to be good the game studio, let's call it, has to be good at really two things. You have to structure the economy itself such that the incentives empower the community. We've talked a bit about that. We're going to talk about AXS, the governance token in a second. And then you have to be good game designers. Like ultimately, if the game is not fun and people don't want to play it, think about like Fortnite or something here, like Fortnite is fun. People love to play the game. Untold millions of people play the game still years after its existence. And if other better games come along better than Fortnite, people will probably change. And the same is true of Axie. So if you want to think about this, maybe, but really like that's what matters. The demand that you rely on as an ecosystem is that people want to have to go into these ecosystems and be there, whether or not it's a game or more of a metaverse, a place just to hang out. Your job is to make sure people want to be there and spend their time there at the end of the day.
2: Yeah. And the great thing here is, as a game studio, we've got a massive war chest now to build out this ecosystem. I think people are underestimating how long it takes to build it out and how important it is to have a core team with that long-term vision. What are you trying to achieve? And what will it take to achieve that? How many years are we talking? Like, I think Axie will be here when I'm dead. I honestly believe that we're simply starting out something This is the foundation of something brand new. So it's interesting. One of my co-founders, Jeff, is very into politics, and he likes to compare us to the founding fathers of the U.S. Like We're the founding fathers of Axie, and we need a constitution. We need to make sure that, for example, the players who are inside our ecosystem, they need to behave in a somewhat good way. They can't be criminals. These are real problems that we have in Axie when you consider that there is money at stake in every world, in every nation, you would have a subset of humans who are going against the ethos of that nation. And we see the same thing is happening with Axie, for example, where some people might be trying to abuse other players. So these are challenges, but I think, yeah, we're doing a lot of things that I wish would have been possible in real life, but we can actually do in games first. And then potentially, I believe that we can impact real life through Axie and show people what's possible to do here.
1: Sticking with the politics theme, most games are dictatorships, the creator of the game controls the game. They can do whatever they want. Their take rate's 100%. Obviously, they're only getting played because they make something really fun that people like, but ultimately, it's centrally controlled. It's a good excuse to talk about the third. So we talked about axes and we've talked about SLP. We haven't talked about AXS just yet, and I think it's really important to outline. You can go right now and, on a bunch of exchanges and buy AXS, the token. It's a governance token. How is this different from SLP? How do you get it? Why do you want it? What does it enable you to do if you own it?
2: We can get started on something very fun right now, because this is probably one of my favorite subjects in Axie and why I think and we're just scratching the surface of what's possible here. So the AXS token is designed to share the value that's being generated within Axie, even at the more extreme level. So what we're doing is we're taking 100% of the revenue that's being generated inside Axie, and we're putting that into a treasury wallet. And that wallet then is being governed by those who hold the AXS token. So you can think about it like this. SkyMavis as a core team, the main team, the builders, we issued ourselves a large portion of those tokens initially so that we would be incentivized to keep building for a longer period of time. So there is incentive alignment there. We are going to be staking our tokens so that we can harvest rewards of what's being created here. And that's the other part of it. Well. It can't be a security, right? Generally, you have to do something when you have the AXS tokens to be able to claim rewards. So we can actually incentivize the right kind of behavior of those who are holding the Axie Infinity Shard, the token, if they want to claim rewards. And a part of that would be, so you as a person, if you hold AXS, you might have bought it from an exchange, might have found it inside the game, because that's going to be more and more thing that's happening. But the point here is if you are holding AXS tokens, and you lock that up to signal to other players that I believe in this ecosystem, and then you do you know, the task, the weekly quest that we say that you have to do, which might be, hey, I want you to play a game. Hey, maybe I want you to tweet about Axie. If you do these things, then you will then be rewarded. Or you, of course, you know, vote on future things inside Axie, then we will decide that's really when you will be able to generate some kind of reward. And that might be newly issued AXS tokens or potentially being able to choose what the money should be spent on.
1: Help me understand in a little bit more detail, specifically how I earn it without buying it. So I know I can buy it on an exchange. There's a certain supply of them. It'd be interesting to know how many of these things there are. Is there some cap on supply so there's not going to be AXS hyperinflation? But if I only wanted to get AXS... We talked earlier about how to get SLP. If I only want to get AXS without buying it with some other currency, how do I do that?
2: You can play the game right now, today. And if you finish, I think it's top 1,000 on the leaderboards, you will get a small AXS token reward. Is that newly issued AXS? That's coming from a portion of the supplier that we looked up for that specific purpose. So when we created the AXS token, we created a maximum of 270 million of those tokens. And then we said a portion of the supply will go to play to earn rewards. So that's going to be issued over the next four to 10 years. We're still determining exactly the issuance rate for that since the token has gone up so heavily in price. The easiest way to think about it like this is when you look at something like Ready Player One, there is one specific moment in that movie or in that book where the keys are being released. And we envision a similar moment in Axie where the Axie game characters or the AXS tokens are being released into the wild so players can actually uh, earn them.
1: So, Stephen, maybe you can give us a sort of a higher perch, if you will. Obviously, you're involved with Axie, but not just involved with Axie. And so I think you can probably see the playing field here, whether that's competitive or just broad trends, and describe from an investing seat how you think about the opportunity here. Because on the one hand, you know, you can squint and see okay, this is gonna be the metaverse. I don't think it's controversial. People like spending their time in games and in digital universes. And if this is the winning universe, that's probably an enormous outcome. But in other ways you can squint, you could go the other direction and say, well, this could fall apart as quickly as it's built. So from an investor standpoint, how do you think about this? Like what is the model? Why did you get interested?
3: From the beginning of when we started investing many years ago, we've been interested in how do you generate returns in these environments? Many of the early models were you deploy capital in some way to earn a return. So you deploy capital to Bitcoin mining rigs and you earn a return, or you deploy capital to a native asset and begin staking it and earn a return. But I think what we've seen really come to the fore over the last couple of years are methods that allow human labor to be converted into income within these environments. That's sort of the big theme we've been interested in. And there's lots of varieties to that. There's play to earn, there's various other sort of to earn opportunities that we can unpack if you like. But the thing with Axie was that they created this category. They were really the first to realize that you could unlock income potential through gameplay. And so when we dug in, the interesting thing was that the first question always everyone asks around gaming is, is it fun? We talked about that a little bit earlier, but the truth is, to draw users. Axie is fun. People enjoy playing it. But in fact, it's not really competing with Fortnite on the degree of fun. It's really competing with work, right? It only has to be more fun than work. When you think about it in that paradigm, it becomes very powerful because I guess just to break down the 1.9 billion user number that Alex mentioned earlier, we pulled data on all the countries in the world where the average income was under $500 a month, and looked at how many internet users are in those countries. It is 1.9 billion potential users that live in those environments. Of course, those are not the only constituencies that are playing axi, but it's just a gigantic
1: target market. And so those were the things that initially drew us to it. Alex, as you've thought about, to pick up our chain from earlier, as you've thought about that work being done, and I think of it as like a new digital form of work. It's helpful to just compare it to normal work, which is like everyone that does a job ultimately that job rolls up to a product or service for which there's demand. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. And maybe there's some bullshit jobs. I really like that book called Bullshit Jobs about just like pushing paper around sort of middlemen or something. But at the end of the day, like companies exist because they offer something that's useful to people or that's entertaining to people. And again, we come back to the source of you have to be fun to the end players. How do you think about that balance and making sure that there's the right balance of new forms of digital work, whether that's earning a specific token in a game or breeding or whatever that might be and actual end players that are really just there to spend money, not earn money and fuel the ecosystem from the demand
2: side. So the interesting thing here is actually is fun for many, many players. They play it at a very high level. If it wasn't fun at all. It wouldn't be, you know, have an esports with several thousand players who are watching it to get better. People actually want to defeat each other and they have fun there. It's quite tricky to find that balance. I believe that we are doing something right here in Axie. Of course, we could always get better. What I find interesting is there has to be a combination between extrinsic motivation. So when you come in, you can see that, hey, I can make some money here. That's pretty cool. I'm going to get involved. Like That's a hook. And then you have the intrinsic side. You come in, you see, hey, there's a lot of people here. These will be my friends. These are people that have similar values that I have. Maybe I should double down and do something, you know, create value in other ways. I could stream the game. I could make music. I could take tattoos. I could do all sorts of things that add value to otherwise than just interacting with the economy piece. And I think that's one of the, you know, more important things that we've seen in Axie. You know, Axie is more than just this game. It's game is one part. Then you have the economy, which is, you know, very important. But you also have this massive community of people who actually love the game. Everything that's around it, they make content. It has a tremendous impact on their social lives. And even in the Philippines, this kind of social revolution started in the small village in Nueva Ciba. So I think we're just starting to see the impact they can have in real life too. And you know, when people take what they love online, you know, this is happening too in other games, but in Axia, I think it has the potential to be viral like that in a way that we've never seen it because it's making gaming more accessible. You can actually show this to your parents now. You can say that, hey, I'm actually playing a game and I'm making a return. That is insane. When I was young, my parents, they told me, you know, you're gaming, you're crazy. I was a competitive gamer. Nothing's going to come of this. It's not only the professional gamers, the 0.001% who can make something. Maybe it's going to be a Pareto distribution eventually where 20% will make money and 80% will be the capital that's flowing around, that's having fun, that's there with their friends. I mean, it's hard to see how this can evolve 10, 20 years into the future. We're seeing it happen in real time. Especially when you look at why are people buying these very expensive axes that don't really have anything to do with the game itself. There is no clear path to ROI, but they're still spending, you know, several hundreds of thousands of dollars on exceedingly rare Axes because it offers them a unique place inside Axie Infinity History. So that would be the same thing as happening, you know, with these profile pictures, projects. There is this mimetic desire for people to want to hold what other you know, strong people in the community has. And they can see that if I have, a, let's say, a mystic axie, which is some of the most rare things inside the game, if you have that, we can never produce more than has already been issued. That is incredibly powerful, especially if you consider a burgeoning nation, which has the potential to reach go 100x from here in terms of users at least. Just as a fun aside, how many
1: mystic axies are there? You said there'll never be any more.
2: When they were rolled, they were created early in 2018. They come from the alpha stage of Axie Infinity, where we had a pre-sale of Axies, where there was a maximum of 4,088 origin Axies. That's the maximum amount that can ever be produced. And there is a subset of those who can be Mystic. And then there is about maybe 200 or so of those origin Axies who haven't been opened yet. And when I say open, they can be generated on-chain if you are burning another token that's already in the ecosystem. The point is that these are highly, highly limited, especially when you consider how many users there will be in the ecosystem. Again, I love
1: putting numbers on things. Like If I wanted to go buy a Mystic Axie on the open market today, what would I have to pay?
2: Right now, there are 148 Mystic Axies on the marketplace. The cheapest of those, they cost 29 Ether, which is 98 thousand dollars for one Mystic Axie. There are a total in existence, a little bit over 1,070 of those that have been migrated to the Roland Chain. So there aren't that many. Fascinating. Love that aside. Going back now to the community aspect of this,
1: you used an example earlier, like a tattoo. I'm just going to stick with that example as like a fun little side thing. So let's say I'm a community member. I love this game. I love my axes. I want to offer a service like a tattoo artist and I want to put tattoos on my Axie or something, some feature of the game which isn't necessarily designed by you centrally, Sky Mavis, but which the community introduces and other people find valuable and want to do an economic exchange around. How do you think about that? Like the extent to which the game itself, the thing which is fun for which there is demand is community generated and designed versus centrally
2: generated and designed. One thing about We've seen people do over time. It happens. It's a good segue into what is you know, the Axie Infinity, the end stage of Axie, actually, because it has to be about user-generated content. Axies are NFT game characters. And what that means is that anyone can build upon them, potentially, because a lot of the data should be free and open. That's a part of you know, the thesis of NFTs, at least, and when you were issuing them. So what we started seeing as, you know, we had an open API and people started building very simple games that could be flappy bird Axie style. So if you had your Axie, you could log in with Web3 and you could flap around with your Axie and flappy Axie. And then there was Axie Sushi, which was a racing game created by a developer where you could race against other players. The output of the genes would mean a different thing inside that racing game than it did in the battle game. If specific Axies were bad in battle, they could be really good in the racing game. So that was interesting. And that's you know, when we figured that, hey, you know, Axies or NFTs in general are the perfect platform play. Because if you open this up and if you have users who are inside that ecosystem who care about these assets, and if you can enable them to make games on top of your platform or your universe, that basically means that you can tackle a much larger market. So and actually, that's also why we made land. The land plots and actually functioning as a launchpad for many different games that people want to make using a map editor. So you can think of it like the next evolution of Roblox, where you would have your main game characters that you can use across many, many different games. Some of them will be made by us, and some of them will be made by the community. Now, why would the community make their own games? Well, that's because we have so many users in this ecosystem already. So we believe in a content-first approach. And I think that's what makes Axie unique as well, where in crypto, it's very similar, very common to make, like, for example, the Central Land or the Sandbox or any of these other virtual worlds where they are making the world first and it's empty. (laughs) Nobody's there. We take a different approach. We want to fill up Axie with as many users, as many passionate players as we can, and then move into the direction of a virtual world where people can actually make their own games and then eventually you know, expand from there. So taking it back to your original question. Yeah, I mean, we love to see when people are making content, but it's still just the very early days for these tattoos. And the real question is here, what is the value in the Axie Infinity IP? That is a really hard thing when you consider NFTs, for example, because what should it mean to own an Axie in terms of IP rights? is we own the Axie Infinity IP, but we're licensing it out to an extent to everyone who's owning an Axie. And we're still trying to figure out what that will look like, what's the end state of that. But it's also a little bit scary because in some situations, you might see people who want to infringe on your IP. And if you then have two broad rights for those who own Axies, that's a massive problem from a business perspective. What we try to say is that if you're an Axie owner, if you want to do it non-commercially, go ahead. You can use your Axie for pretty much almost anything you want for personal use. If you want to do it commercially, well, maybe you can earn $10,000 for one Axie, and then you have to have a license agreement with us. So there is room for content creation and you know user-generated content, but it's not very clear what this will look like in the future. I think we're on the very bleeding edge here, so we just have to figure it out.
1: I want to make sure I understand land specifically, and sorry for using all the analogies, but it's just a helpful way to think about it. Could I think about land like there's a boardwalk on the beach and there's a bunch of shops and you have to pay to get one of those shop slots, but what you do in the shop is up to you. You could build an ice cream shop, you could build a, a retailer, whatever you want, be creative. Is land kind of like that? Like, how do you think about the unit of land, how much you produce of it, how you buy it? This seems like a fourth, we talked about the first three, axes: SLP and, and AXS. Give the same treatment to land.
2: There will be about 96,000 plots, I think in 96,800 around that plots of land inside the Lunasia, the world. And the way that we see land is there are two approaches here. Axies, right, they function sort of like a, an entry to many, many different experiences. What we could say is that land, they might have the same function because we're building now the first land game experience where if you own land, you can build on top of it, you can attack other players. It's very much what you would find it in Clash of Clans. Now, that wouldn't be necessarily the end state of land, because if you consider that that's one game that can be built on land, then you might have another metaverse type of game that can be built on land. And that's really when you think about you know what kind of abilities do you want to give to these assets? I don't think everything has to happen immediately. You could rather build value as you go along. It's all about incentive alignment for the long term. So yeah, I mean, I don't see anything bad about potentially having a turning it into a virtual world down the line where you could be walking, you, you can have your human avatar. It's just about who wants to add the value and you can even hire others to build on top of land to have different types of games. And I think that's something which people probably haven't understood to the same level as we have internally. But of course, now it will become more clear. And that also touches on you know, what is the metaverse even. Right now, I think the metaverse is on Ethereum. I think when you're browsing OpenSea, you are walking down the metaverse lane, so to say. And you're seeing everything that's there, you can buy it. Same thing in Axie on the marketplace there. The front end just isn't there yet, but it will be.
1: And the front end today is a web browser primarily. That's how people are playing Axie.
2: The front end right now for LAND is you can look at your LAND (laughs) inside the profile. Last year, around this time, we had the first alpha test of LAND that we released. It was a joyous experience. We have been building that for some time. And then we took a step back. We needed to change some things. And it goes the way game development goes. It's pretty hard to make a great game, so to say. Especially if you're considering like, how many players you want. So let's say there is a limit of the land that we have in Lunasia. There is a limit to 96,000 plots of land. Does that mean that we should only have 96,000 players playing on land in Axie? That would be very limiting if we have 1.9 billion. We would need to look at other ways to you know, flip it or to say that, what I can see now happening is if you have the land plot in Axie, that would be like the master tape, so to say. I think that makes more sense. And you can have several sub-dimensions. And if you own the main land in Axie, in Lunaso, that means that you find a way to add value or to get value whenever someone else is playing on that specific land in other sub-dimensions. These are things that we are considering, but I would be lying if I said that everything was 100% clear because it's still you know early days. If we zoom out even farther into the broader crypto
1: ecosystem, and I want to talk about Ethereum and Ronin here a little bit. What I think is so interesting about, let's just take Ethereum, is that if you own Ethereum, you're sort of betting that more and more stuff that people want to do, whether that's art or gaming or whatever, is going to be built on top of that protocol. And by owning the protocol, you get to sort of participate in the growth of that overall demand to do stuff. I think what's so fascinating about the origins of your business, which I think goes all the way back to CryptoKitties, which famously sort of crashed the Ethereum network, and the problems that Ethereum's having today that the gas fees, the ability to change the underlying ledger itself is so expensive because of how the blockchain itself is set up, caused you to do something very interesting, which is create the Ronin sidechain. So maybe you can describe what is Ronin, what is a sidechain for people out there, and why did you do it?
2: I think we have to start from you know the history of, of Axie to see why we did it first. We weren't necessarily destined to be an infrastructure provider. I mean, we have very, very talented engineers. They love games, so they wanted to make a game. When we started out in early 2018, what we saw is that you know, there were all these promises of scaling, various things that would happen, Ethereum would scale, and different solutions. So we didn't take a step down on the infrastructure side. We wanted to ship a game. We wanted to use what was out on the market. So we partnered with a company called Loom Network to use their initial sidechain to Ethereum. And then it turned out that worked to an extent. We ported over a part of our infrastructure there early in 2019. And then it turned out you know, they pivoted into healthcare took a long time for us to move away from that again. And then we, we were looking at the space as a whole. And then you had some competitors that were starting to flow up like Flow, maybe Immutable, who have a similar you know, background that we have. But in the end, what we realized is that there is nobody else in the space who actually understands the problems that we're facing as well as we do, because nobody has ever built it in the same way that we wanted to do. So then it was a question of, okay, can we partner with someone and can we trust them to build it in the same way that we want to build it? Can we trust it if we hit product market fit, that the blocks will not be filled with DeFi or everything else that can find product market fit in a couple of years. And the conclusion there was actually we can't because block space is probably one of the most valuable resources that's out there, especially on a decentralized chain like Ethereum. You can consider it in the same way if we are in the area of the internet where the time of the internet where people didn't have broadband, there wasn't any broadband available. So you only had like an ISDN. The same thing is happening here, except now the entire world is trying to connect to an ISDN, you know, internet connection. So things are going crazy. So what we figured there is we can't really trust anyone else to do it. So we use the Ethereum. We are Ethereum maximalists to an extent because we've been building there. We know that the Ethereum ecosystem was probably destined to be where most of the innovation would happen because that's where the most of the builders were. So we took the Ethereum virtual machine, which is the Ethereum code base initially. We started with that as our code, and then we forked it off, created our own side chain, which is using a lot of the same things that it has on Ethereum, except it's more centralized. It moves faster in terms of transactions, and it's tailor-made for our needs. So what that means is we can be much faster to market when it comes to, let's say, if you want to have a DEX on that, we can fork off you know, existing things that are on Ethereum, and we can move it there. And the great thing for Ethereum is that any innovation that happens on Roland network, which is so close to Ethereum, will also benefit Ethereum. We have a different group of validators. It's not built using the same consensus mechanism, but the base layer is there. You know, We're building using Solidity. So there are many, many similarities. The only difference is you know, we're not dependent specifically on the security of the base layer of Ethereum. While I think that would be great, and that would be ideal so that we could you know, lean on it like some of these other optimistic rollups, for example, are doing... I still think it's too early. What we want to do is go to market fast and we want to show people the benefits of this new technology. We're not focused on being a PhD candidate that can think in very abstract terms and try to revolutionize the space in those terms. We just want to show people that real users care about this. These are the benefits that we can bring to them and we can do it fast. We can do it today in our terms. We took various pieces that existed and we ended up creating a holistic package, which then again provides a good user experience but we're not at the end stage yet. And that's what's so exciting because we've just hit one innovation trigger and that would actually be the Ronin blockchain release and when we have Axie's moving over. So what happens when the new game is coming? It's actually free to play when we can distribute on the app stores. So that's why I think we're just seeing, you know, the the very early stages of what Axie can be.
1: It's really a fascinating area because you've created this new ledger. Let's just think of the Ronin ledger as the source of truth for what wallets own what assets, whether it's all the things we've talked about, land, SLPs, AXS, whatever. How does that then ultimately relate back to Ethereum? Are you every so often like settling with Ethereum and like inserting some sort of record into the Ethereum block space? Why is what's good for Ronin good for Ethereum? And this is a question about Ronin specifically, but assuming there's tons of other people that are gonna want more transactions, cheaper transactions on a decentralized ledger so that you can do something like Axie. I'm just trying to understand like whether or not that's good or bad for Ethereum.
2: That kind of comes back to what I was saying in terms of innovation. Since we are building on the same framework as Ethereum, that means that whenever there is innovation happening on Ronin, that can also be reused on Ethereum. So that's the main benefit. It's not actually because it's driving necessarily heavy amount of usage on Ethereum, although it is. So actually, Ronin is one of the most used bridges back and forth from Ethereum. So to kind of go to the initial question, yes, you can bridge various assets to Ronin from Ethereum, because we have our own decentralized bridge, which is non-custodial. So when you want to put in assets like Ethereum, like AXS, then yes, you need to use the bridge. And then in the future, you know, when it comes to the NFTs, we actually haven't activated the bridge so that you can move back again to Ethereum because it's so expensive. The benefit just isn't there for our user. We have to do that eventually. Axie's originally were on Ethereum. We just paused that contract because we felt like the benefit wasn't there for the end user, especially for the way that we want to use these assets. We want high frequency trading, not necessarily you know super expensive. And it's cool to have a billion dollar assets being sold here and there. When you compare Axie, the ecosystem, we had something like 300, over 300,000 unique traders in our ecosystem in the past 30 days. If you then compare to the entire broader ecosystem in Ethereum, there is maybe 15,000, 20,000 total. The same people are trading profile pictures against each other. That's not what we're interested in. We want to onboard new people into crypto. And this is our way of doing it.
1: I don't know what a bridge means. So what is a bridge? How does it function? Is it different than an exchange? What does that mean?
2: So a bridge is basically just a simple way of saying when you are, it's a smart contract, which... If I have money on Ethereum and I want to interact with another blockchain, let's say that might be Ronin, that might be Solana, that might be whatever else blockchain is out there, you generally need a person or let's say a smart contract in this case, who is guaranteeing that when you're putting money in here, it's being extracted there. So it's always backed one-to-one. And on Ethereum, we have a smart contract, which is the Ronin bridge. So if I'm depositing one Ether into the Ronin bridge, that then releases one Ether on Ronin to me because it's backed one-to-one. So if I want to exit from Ronin, you go to the bridge and then it checks the logic to see if, is it actually backed one-to-one? Yes, it is. Then I can withdraw from there again. Fascinating.
1: That is very interesting. So because of that, that's back to your Ethereum maximalist position.
2: To an extent, yes. But it's not like we're relying on security of Ethereum because in a hypothetical scenario, if Ronin was being compromised in some kind of way, you still wouldn't be able to flood Ethereum with more assets than is backed on the bridge. The, the interesting thing here, which then again also benefits Ethereum to an extent, but if Ethereum is being compromised, well, then that's a problem for Ronin because then you can potentially fill up with how many assets you want on Ronin. But I have complete faith in Ethereum, so I don't think that's going to happen.
1: What have you learned about economic design? So you've mentioned some terms that. Normally, you might hear out of the Fed or someone setting fiscal or monetary policy, most specifically things like inflation, hyperinflation. You mentioned fiat earlier and not knowing exactly what the M2 money supply will be. Like these are big, big, important issues that very smart people spend their lives thinking about. What have you learned about good tokenomics or economic design? Because seems like so much of the potential for Axie hinges on whether or not that design has good balance and that there could be ways that it really falls apart. So teach us the lessons here that you've learned. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what I can say there is it's not only me. Luckily, I'm probably the least smart person in the Axie core team. So I have a lot of geniuses in my team who help make decisions. And we generally look at a lot of data, very data-driven in our decisions. And when we are looking at you know, when we are experimenting, because that's actually what's happening here. So one example would be you know, the SLP token that's currently in the market. That's only tied into breeding of new Axies. But then again, when we see there is two parts of that SOP piece, the one is you need a SOP or the breeding of axes. You need one part SOP and one part AXS. Generally, what we prefer is that those two are somewhat equal. We are not extracting too much value out of the AXS part. The take rate is not too heavy. So what happened is as more and more people started to understand that, hey, AXS is actually a genius level token, they started buying it. So that's when you actually got such a large take rate of AXS because that increased so in a bar, you would say that maybe 80% is going to us, and that then decreases the utility of SOP, which then you know reduces the price of it. For us, that is a problem, maybe, when you think about how much should an SOP token be worth, how much are we willing to you know, pay the users for their time? So the alternative there is, okay, if we can make economic adjustments inside Axie Infinity, where we say that, okay, we are going to reduce the AXS part of that breeding fee, which then again will stimulate the economy to an extent because more players can start breeding because they can earn more money. But the alternative there would be, when you do that, you know, stimulate hypergrowth again. <laughs> if you stimulate hypergrowth, we actually need the server infrastructure to handle that hypergrowth, <laughs> which then again is a problem for us because we aren't ready to handle that level of hypergrowth. So we're actually okay. The s price is somewhat you know, suffering. But of course, in the long term, we are paying very, very close attention to it. And we can you know, make very fast economic adjustments if we want to. And that's also something that we are saying to the community. We need to be upfront about it to follow the economy rather than leading it. It can take a little bit of time for some of the impact to show itself. And there is also the question of how much SLP do we need stockpiled in the universe of Axie to actually be able to have the building blocks to produce many Axies if there is a massive increase in players, which then again is very similar to what a commodity would look like. So <laughs> and you need to build houses. Then again, suddenly, if there is too many houses that needs to be built, so it kind of reduces the entire wood supply to zero, well, that's going to drive up the price, which is not necessarily too good for the ecosystem as a whole. So you might need to have a massive stockpile of wood or SLP if you are gearing up for like a global expansion. So these are high-level thoughts.
1: A lot of this is taking models from the real world and applying them digitally. And some ideas like basic supply and demand will transfer. Other ideas won't make sense in the digital world. But I think the answer to the question is it's complicated and you're figuring it out on the fly. And some of it is theory, some of it's experimentation. The North Star is to make the ecosystem thrive. So you don't want to be dogmatic if there's an economic design problem that's hindering the kind of activity you want, you fix it.
2: I didn't touch too much on it in terms of what is a good way to build a decentralized world. Gaming, particularly, you need a ship captain or you need someone to steer the world in the right kind of direction, especially because game design is so hard. So if you then, you know, decentralize the world too fast, you might end up with really bad advice from the community in general. So what I believe in is actually, you know, limiting the scope of the decisions that can be made by the community and then eventually, you know, progressively decentralizing it. There might be a scope, which is you know, super narrow in the middle, players can then give feedback on, but eventually it will expand as we, as a core team, we also narrow our own ability to change the ecosystem. So I think these are general principles that we're working towards. But I also don't want to say, hey, we're going to do that 100% of the time because there is no straight answer to this because it hasn't been done before. We need to be flexible and we need the people who live in Axie and who play Axie, they need to understand that too. Where does this all fall apart?
1: Like, I'm sure you've thought about the biggest risks to the game and to the ecosystem and to the currencies, things that pop to mind. We've already talked about demand. So if a much more fun game with a better economic set of games with a better economic design comes along, that's a risk. What about other things like regulation or something else that would, in the bad scenario for Axie, make this a much less popular game or ecosystem, I should say, five years from now? How do you think about the biggest risks to this whole thing?
2: The biggest risk without a doubt and what keeps me up at night is smart contract risk. It's like a known unknown. No. The implications of a smart contract hack, at worst could be billions of dollars being lost. If there is no risk, there is no reward. So what we realized is that we just have to take those risks and live with them because that's how we push things forward. If you're not creating new code, if you're not shipping new code, you're not innovating anything. That's something that everyone also has to you know, be aware of quite out of my hands. Of course, we are working with the best auditors in the world. We are, you know, working with white hat attackers. All of that stuff—it's like insurance. <laughs> you don't really know the potential until it's too late. So that's one part of it. The other thing would maybe be a regulation. We're already seeing, for example, it happen in the Philippines where they are looking to tax our players. Our stance on that is we're still living in the meat space. I mean, as much as I like. The metaverse, you know, we still have to live physically somewhere. The law says you need to pay taxes there. So that's something that they should do in any case. We want to lean into regulation where it makes sense. I'm sure there could be some countries that maybe, you know, dislike very heavily what we're doing. But for me, I think a very kind of hands-off approach there as long as we can. And then we will probably have to deal with that or roll with the punches as they come. Those are the two things that I see as the biggest. And then you would have, you know, competition that's coming later. For me, that's not so scary because Axie has a special place in the hearts and souls of many people. In Pokemon, when that arrived, you know, you had Digimon, you had all of these other, you know, but in reality, people remember Pokemon. People will remember Axie because that's, you know, where the first step into this new game economy is. Pretty amazing to be a part of that journey and to impact the lives of so many people across the world. In closing, and then I want to switch to Steven's investing perspective,
1: I think there's some numbers that are just sort of staggering if this is early. I think AXS has a market cap of like $4 billion U.S. dollars. You already mentioned the, the staggering revenue numbers to say nothing of sort of like the GMV numbers inside the game. And, and the number of players. The last one that I just thought was so cool because of the symmetry of it is that the average earnings for Axie players is like $60 a day roughly, which is basically what you had to pay for, for me as a kid. That's how much I would pay for a new game. And now you have players of the game earning that much that I used to pay earning it every day. And of course that will fluctuate, but I just found that fascinating. In closing to end on sort of an interesting optimistic note, if you think five years out or 10 years out, what is the biggest version of this story? If you had to dream a little of what this could become, describe what excites you most about the potential future of this ecosystem.
2: I think Axie is the gateway to the metaverse. I mean, we don't use that phrase too much, but I really believe that a lot of people will find this as their first step into the digital economies. And not only that, but it will also unbanked across the world who's never had a bank account. They have never interacted with the economy. So I actually believe that Axie has the potential to impact the globe very heavily with letting people interact with a global economy, actually exiting their <laughs> prisons where they are born. I think it's truly groundbreaking. In terms of numbers, it's hard to say exactly because it's whenever it keeps breaking every kind of estimation that we ever had. So I prefer to you know, speak in more high level terms of, yes, I think it can have a major impact globally. I think Action Infinity will be a, a massive brand. I think it can rival Pokemon and probably be bigger. Because people actually have a true ownership stake in it. And there is not some massive company that's sitting behind it and saying, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. So yeah, it's a part of the creator economy, right? Even though some people might not even understand it. Like we're enabling jobs for people. So I guess that's what excites me the most. And why, to be fair, like we are in crypto. Prices are crazy. It's less about money at this point and more about having a real impact here. And that's how I can justify working 12 hours a day, even though, you know, potentially retire. Like less attractive now that we can see... How many people are being impacted by Axie, especially in the Philippines? Like several hundreds of thousands of players are literally getting food on the table because of the game that we created, and that is very humbling. And it makes me realize that we need to work even double as hard to make sure that this doesn't fail. If it does fail, but that would be you know a nice lesson. I mean, for everyone. But what happens to the people in those areas who maybe quit their jobs? Like these are real problems for them.
1: Alex, is there anything that we've missed in terms of key big ideas? where Axie is the first of its kind. I think we've talked about many of the most exciting concepts, but anything that you think that we've missed that the audience should know?
2: I think I touched on it just now. You know, The potential here is for people to come into Axie and to earn their first tokens, and then potentially to make a return on those tokens as well, to interact with DeFi. DeFi is not sexy. DeFi is boring as hell. I like finance, but I think DeFi for normal people, that's not where it's going to happen. But DeFi can be the backbone and we can lead people into DeFi. I think people are starting to wake up to that in NFTs. Actually, is without a doubt the industry leader here. Anyone who's skeptical, they should just check CryptoSlam, DapRadar, all of these other sites who are tracking NFTs, actually looking at other chains than not Ethereum. So that's it. I think it was a really nice overview of what we're trying to do here. Appreciate you taking the time. And I'm also curious to hear what Steven said because you know, when they got involved in SkyMavis, it was at the series A stage. It was before this massive growth round, I mean, they committed their their check. I think we maybe had like sixteen, seventeen thousand users at the time. It wasn't necessarily clear that it would go this fast. Stephen is also on the board of Sky Mavis, so worth mentioning as well.
1: You did my job for me. the perfect transition to the investor' <laughs> perspective with Stephen. I think Stephen, the most interesting thing from my perspective, thinking back to the original investment, is for you to just outline how you think the world is changing that makes companies like this and assets like this interesting in the first place. And I'll let you lead us here, whether it's the notion of ownership, the notion of the metaverse, the notion of where people spend their time. What are the big, important aspects that made you interested in the first place and keep you interested in other opportunities like this one?
3: The key feature to understand here is just this idea that the assets live independently or exist independently from the interface. And it's sort of like a huge theme in crypto. So let me draw an analogy to equities. Let's say I have 100 shares of Tesla and I hold those at Merrill Lynch. Well, I can't decide this afternoon that I actually want to interact with those assets through Robinhood or Schwab or some other interface. They are custodied by Merrill Lynch. There's, of course, a big process to move them over to a different interface. That's not true in crypto. So if I have a wallet I could interact with it using MetaMask, which is one interface on my desktop, and then five minutes later, I could interact with those same assets in my wallet using Rainbow, like a Rainbow app on my phone. And so this idea that the assets are custodied by the user and can exist independently, you can interact with those through different interfaces. is just this really powerful concept. And so if you take it to gaming, it's even worse. Because not only can you not interact with those assets using, say, different games, you don't even own those assets. We realized that that was just this enormous opportunity that if you think of the big picture is like same assets, different interfaces, where the assets are not tied to the interface. That problem was most extreme within gaming because the in-game assets are almost always tied to the interface. So they're not portable. You don't have custody of the assets. You don't own the asset. So if I spend a bunch of money on skins in a character in Fortnite, I can't now take that character and sell it, or I can't take it and play it somewhere else. So I think this is where NFT games like Axie are so revolutionary. The asset, as we've discussed, is owned by the user and sort of exists independently from the game. So as Alex mentioned, there are new games that could spin up, that could use those same characters, which is then going to drive further demand for axes. Those games could be developed by Sky Mavis. They could potentially be developed by others, maybe on land in Lunacea. And so it really does start to look more like an ecosystem where the players are invested, literally, by owning the characters, which then might have applications through multiple interfaces or multiple games. And so I think that was the piece that was sort of most exciting to us.
1: How else do you see this playing out? Like obviously there's the gaming example where this is like an interesting inversion. First you would think of a game that's designed and then say items or assets within the game that are useful or valuable. Now it seems like this is an inversion that first come the assets, they're exchangeable. You can move them around, you custody and own them yourselves and they could be part of a hundred games. If they become popular, the recent drop of loot pops to mind here of just literally black screen, white text, names of items, and then let the community build stuff on top of it. How extensible is this idea, Stephen? Do you think that it's mostly a gaming idea, this inversion of asset ownership first, and then areas or spaces or community second? How do you think about how big this could get?
3: Loot would be sort of like the far end of the spectrum where the assets were created without any game, as you just described, with the hope that the community is then going to build a game around those assets. I think with Axie, not only did they create the assets, but they created the initial gameplay, which was clearly compelling by the growth we've seen. And so those things are kind of growing in tandem. But the concept broadly is huge. This idea of the players own the characters, the players own the board, the players own the ability to breed new characters. The players owning all of the various pieces of
1: the game is definitely an idea that's here to stay. What has surprised you about having been involved in the company from 16,000 users to the almost 2 million today and growing really fast? What has been most shocking, surprising, interesting to you relative to your expectations when you made the investment?
3: I would say two things. One is just the rate at which it took off and also the ability of the team to handle that degree of scaling because it puts, of course, like a lot of stress. It puts a lot of stress on the team. It puts stress on the technical infrastructure. We knew that Ronin was going to be a big deal. It was a big part of our investment thesis is that there's already a certain amount of activity within Axie, even at these extremely high transaction fees that were present on the ethereum base chain. We had a strong thesis that once activity moved to Ronin, where the fees would be suppressed down to pennies, that was going to cause a tremendous amount of additional economic activity because it just made everything much easier. Again, if you look at this as an economy, as much as the game, massive reduction in transaction fees should spur additional economic activity. So that was sort of the thesis. Of course, what happened was... Ronin was released and then user growth just sort of went into hyperdrive. Watching the team handle that and work through it and work through various technical challenges was inspiring because it can be actually a tough thing to handle for for any company, but particularly in these decentralized environments.
1: The idea of inserting markets and prices and low friction into every ecosystem with assets to me is the most interesting and exciting thing that's happening here. Like when I first studied Axie, It just seemed like the unlock was effectively installing DeFi into a game ecosystem. And if you could imagine a market installed into every product ecosystem, whether that's a corner coffee shop or global metaverse game, it just seems to unlock behavior that obviously drives economic output too, in really interesting ways that price discovery in markets unlocks a lot. that is just totally fascinating. Stephen, as you think about the future now, you're deeply involved and care a lot about Axie, but also thinking about where other opportunities may lie. Maybe an interesting closing question for the investors out there is just how do you think about assessing new opportunities? Everything's a little different than what you saw before. So some of it's just first principles thinking. But what are you looking for? Like, what has you excited when you see a new asset, a new NFT, a new project, a new team?
3: Our focus is, of course, crypto only at our fund. And so we're always looking for ways in which crypto can unlock new types of behavior, things that weren't possible without these shared ledgers and the concepts of ownership. The big thing we're interested in right now, which actually fits into and really pioneered is just this concept of converting human capital. So labor, the expansion, like the globalization of sort of economic activities, not only to deploy capital and earn money, but actually to deploy labor and earn money. That's gonna to continue to happen through play to earn. These things aren't mutually exclusive. So like even with axie you can earn by playing. You can also earn by just being a breeder. You could also earn by just participating in governance. And so there's gonna be multiple ways within these ecosystems to translate human labor of different types whether that's governance participation or some sort of subjective judgment. So in many of these things, there's going to be, we'll need to have ways to like curate content or we'll need to have ways to resolve disputes that are on chain. Because remember, these things largely live outside the legal layer. All of those methods to convert human labor into
1: earnings are fascinating to us. So that's where we're spending our time. Alex, in closing, uh, actionable step. If someone wants to just try this out, what should they go do? If they want to just dabble and understand what all the fuss is about in Axie specifically, what would you have them go do right now after listening?
2: A very easy actionable item is to follow Axie Infinity on Twitter. It's just called Axie Infinity there. Once you do that for a little while, you'll see what we're tweeting about. Maybe you'll see some links. You'll get a little bit more excited about the ecosystem. And if that's appealing to you, take the next step in terms of maybe learning more, getting an Axie. You know, these are quite extensive steps because you still need to buy crypto. You still need to do 10 steps before you can actually get started. And the easiest way is actually, you generally what we like to say is Axie is like an island right now. You still need to swim to get to that island. There is literally no bridge. So the best step is actually just to learn a little bit more about the tech and then see what's happening in the coming six months, seven months. We're going to release you know, Axie Origin, which is going to be that free-to-play type of game, which then means that normal people can actually experience these games as they were intended, rather than having to buy them, having to play without any tutorials. So the change is coming. But yeah, follow Axie, if you're on Twitter at first. If you want to invest in something, Sky Mavis equity is not trading anywhere. It probably won't be, if not ever. You can buy AXS tokens directly from Binance or other exchanges.
1: Guys, this has been a totally fascinating conversation. It, to me, strikes me as... One of those companies or stories that regardless of what happens, good or bad, is the first of its kind in a really interesting way. And I've been looking for five years for ways in which crypto, the infrastructure and technology will enable activity on top of it. And this seems to be an obvious example of just that happening in the early days. Thank you so much for your time today and for helping me and the audience understand Sky Mavis and Axie Infinity.
2: It was a pleasure to be here. Maybe we can have another one in a couple of years once we've taken over the world, talk about <laughs> Sky Mavis and, and everything that's happening.
1: I'll be rooting for you as a lifelong game aficionado and can't wait to watch what happens.
0: To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out JoinColossus.com. That's dot com. Some folks don't stop till they find the truth. June's Journey is a Roaring Twenties murder mystery hidden object game. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android or iOS devices and on PC through Facebook games.